Father, uh, we are grateful that you brought us together, grateful that you meet with us when we come together, grateful that you guide us and walk alongside us as we go out from this place. So we pray that this morning, that as we start to hear some stories told um, over the next month, um, that the gospel will be proclaimed, of course, as we read scripture and as the stories are told, that our mind and our ears and our eyes and our hearts would be open, that we could receive it. And as always, that our hands and our feet and our lips would be ready to go do the same out in the world. Pray that as we hear stories, that we would reflect on our own. So be present with us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. So this morning, I'm really excited for you to hear the stories of two really important voices in my life. Um, These are voices that both know the suffering and the joy of the Lord. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we've been having this conversation about stewardship. In January, we talked about the theology of stewardship, that we're partners with God, we're the caretakers of his creation, that he made us as his image bearers and he placed each of us here with purpose and mission. He gave us specific gifts. We have unique wiring Each of us have been given resources and we're called to be obedient and to steward those resources, offer them back to God. Uh, We saw a couple weeks ago that uh, there's no way to follow Jesus without sacrifice. And that begins with his own sacrifice on our behalf. And we saw that stewardship is about more than just your wallet. It's about your discipleship. It's about tearing down the walls that we have built to protect us and our stuff from God. It's about tearing down those walls and day by day giving more and more of ourselves to him and to the work of his kingdom. Um, So today we begin a new month of worship and we're gonna continue this conversation about stewardship, but we're gonna do it from a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, We're calling this month the stewardship of our salvation. And I have to get credit credit to Ken Anderson. He was one of our elders. I, I literally think he coined that phrase because I have searched the Google for days and I have not found it phrased that way but it's brilliant and you're gonna see how it connects to scripture in just a little bit. We're gonna hear stories all month long, stories from people in this congregation, stories about the way that God has worked through the good and bad, the highs and lows, the suffering and the joy. And through all of that, he's drawn them closer to him through the power of his spirit and through the work of his church. So like I said this morning, we're gonna hear the stories of two men. They're each stewards of their own salvation And like I said earlier, two really important voices in my life. And I think for some of you, you're gonna find that these men have been important voices in your lives as well. And then over the next two weeks, we're gonna hear stories of how God is working on and through the lives of two women in our congregation, uh, how they are stewarding their salvation. And then at the end of the month, we're gonna hear stories about all the ways that God is working throughout the world, how he's reaching to a lost generation uh, and how God wants to use our stories uh, to continue that work. So for today, our first witness um, is the Apostle Paul. And I'm gonna read selections from uh, his letter to the Philippians, and I'm not gonna read the whole letter, but I am gonna read a lot of it. And I do hope that later today that you'll go home and read the whole thing. It's only four chapters long. You can totally do it. I have faith in you. You can do it today. Uh, You need to know that as Paul is writing this letter that he's in prison, Uh, He's in prison because of the work that he was doing in the name of Jesus. And in his chains, he writes this letter to his church. 
And I'm gonna read uh, just sections from this chapter. The references are on the screen if you wanna follow along. Um, But again, just go read the whole thing later today. So starting in chapter one, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in this first chapter, Paul is sharing his deep love for his church and his confidence that even in his trials and suffering, that because of his trials and suffering, the gospel is going to be proclaimed. He is a partner with God, even in chains. And then he goes on into chapter two. He goes on to share the implications of what it means to be partners with God, what it means to be the church. That because of what Christ has done in and through them, he's making the case that they should live in a radically different way. So he describes it like this. Philippians two, he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Amen? Amen. It's hard to read Philippians 2 without saying amen. And go on, just a couple of verses from chapter three. 
He goes on to say this. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. Listen to that again. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead and joining together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes fixed on those who live as we do. All right, that's a pretty bold thing to say. He says, join together and follow my example. <laughs> it's a pretty bold thing to say, right? He goes on to say, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So let's talk about this just for a second. Um, in John chapter 10, Jesus tells us that he is the good shepherd, the one who lays his life down for his sheep, and we are his sheep, obviously. There's a scholar named uh, Kenneth Bailey, and he wrote a book about this. He does a lot of work about like the cultural context of scripture from back in the day. Um, and he focuses on this verse in John's gospel and on Psalm 23. Many of you are familiar, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So he explains that shepherds, they would often identify one or two sheep from their flock. One or two that recognized his voice would consistently respond to his voice. They were always pretty close by his feet. These were sheep that didn't stray. They didn't get lost. And he would designate them as his bell sheep. And they got that name because the shepherd would literally put a bell around their neck. And the idea is that as they follow the shepherd, the sound of their bell, it becomes the sound of their obedience and their faithfulness. And that ringing bell of their faithfulness, it calls all of the other sheep to follow the same direction. So Paul is one of Jesus' bell sheep. He is not claiming to be the shepherd himself, but he trusted and followed in obedience. He is someone who heard and recognized the voice of his shepherd. And Jesus' confidence in him made him the apostle that we know today, a ringing bell that calls out to all of us, the sound of his faithfulness calling to us to follow Christ just as he has followed Christ. So that's the Apostle Paul. Now, I want you to hear from a second voice today. Um, Sam Sterrett is a covenant partner here at First Pres. He's one of the most influential voices in my life. Um, Sam is a dear friend to many of us. And like the Apostle Paul, Sam is a bell sheep. We listen for the sound of his bell calling us to faithfulness, to follow Christ just as he is following Christ. And I told the first service, Sam is gonna be so mad at me at the next service for heaping so much praise on him. He's gonna be so mad for daring to put him in the same paragraph with the Apostle Paul. But that's because of his Christ-like humility, which only goes to prove my point. I listen to and follow Sam as he follows Christ. So I want you to hear the story and invite you to do the same. Watch this. My name is Sam Sterrett. I'm 95 years old, a follower of Jesus the Christ, and a covenant partner with First Presbyterian Church Kingwood. I've been involved in multiple ways with the Presbyterian Church all of my life. 
And as a part of that, I have recited the Apostles' Creed in public hundreds of times. From that, you can know the basics of what I believe. My pastor has requested me to describe to you my personal encounters with God, as well as what I have learned from those experiences. I understand that request as an expectation of the progress in my life of sanctification. Any response to that expectation will include frequent references to Sue, who has been an enormous influence in my life beginning in the spring of 1944. I believe sanctification is an ongoing process of self-transcendence, empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit, that enables your living a life ever more aligned with that of your Redeemer, your Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. In this process, the actions of the Holy Spirit is constant and ongoing, but so unobtrusive that one is generally unaware of the activity when it occurs. For example, I now think my introduction to Sue was a part of God's plan for my life. Without doubt, this kind of thing has occurred perhaps hundreds of times over the years. But I would like to describe two of them for your consideration. Sue and I were married in January of 1949, and early in the next year, we decided that it was time to begin our family for, of four children. We quickly learned two things. First, Sue had no problem getting pregnant. Second, Sue had great difficulty remaining pregnant for the requisite time. This problem re required complete extended bed rest for months and was complicated by the lack of air conditioning and summer temperatures in Houston, together with the constant threat of failure of the treatment, resulting in the loss of the growing child. The physical and emotional drain on Sue and her caregivers was enormous, but the pregnancy was successful and we were the parents of Linda. The third thing we learned was that in God's eyes, our plans for our life together were even less than interesting. And, in fact, we were to live the life of God's plan for us. But this we could see only through a glass darkly. And it would take five years and two more pregnancies, both failures, before we could begin to see God's plan clearly. Sue's fourth pregnancy took the familiar course, but this time there was a major difference. A man, John D. Craig, our pastor, came to Sue's bedside every day for six weeks and prayed with Sue for an hour. It was during this time that I began to learn a bit about what it meant to have Jesus for a friend with whom you have a daily conversation concerning all that matters to you and to Jesus. This pregnancy was ultimately a success and we became the blessed parents of Carol. So God's plan for us was not four children, but two, whose lives have blessed us well beyond anything we could have dreamed. In 2012, Sue was diagnosed with lung cancer. The surgeons at MD Anderson successfully removed it, and we were rejoicing only then to learn that the thing was metastasized and was also in her liver. From that time onward to her death in 2015, we understood the chances for cure were slight. What I did not understand was the kind of death she would experience. While I do not want to describe the details, 
it is enough here to say that Sue was totally destroyed physically. For a time after her death, I was somewhere else. I know not where. But then I began to experience pure anger with God. How could a loving God permit a lifetime follower like Sue to suffer such a horrible death? Week after week, my conversations with God became more bitter and inappropriate. And then I became aware of a small voice instructing me to read Philippians 3. Very strange. I do not like Philippians 3. I like Philippians 2 with its hymn describing the Christ. But the voice was persistent and unrelenting. So I began the reading of Philippians 3 day after day for months. At first I had no clue as to what God was trying to tell me. But then I began to understand that we are called to live the life God gives us. And those who get very close to Christ in so doing may be permitted to die as Christ did. I'm convinced that Sue felt it to be a privilege to suffer with Christ. With this realization, my sense of anger changed to real peace, and I've learned again to trust God to be faithful in this relationship, even when I am not, and that I must let God be God. For about 10 days before Sue died, her physical abilities had declined to the point she was not able to speak and we began to use signs to communicate. As she neared the end, she gave me a sign I did not recognize, and I asked her to help me. She struggled to whisper one word, love. In the second it took for me to kiss her, she passed away. And so after 66 years together, Sue and I began a new adventure in our life. As you see, these stories take but a few moments to tell, but they occupy a large portion of my life, extending over a period of years. All the while, life goes along on a daily basis, with dozens of experiences each day affecting my relationship with friends and God. These activities bring sorrow and joy, and sometimes it's difficult to know which is which. I believe that shared pain can and does strengthen relationships, but chaos remains a constant threat. Therefore, the need for a persistent commitment to the body of Christ becomes obvious. God gives us a life in which the love and care of brothers and sisters in Christ and of Christ Himself are an absolute requirement if you are to experience any peace. So live that life as I have with the church and Christ and the assurance that the Lord will lead us to himself. Amen. So I first met Sam in 2006. Um, I was finishing up college and thinking about seminary and going into ordained ministry. And the first time I met with him was with one of the pastors here and I told Sam my story, it wasn't good. I wasn't good at it yet, I didn't know what I was doing. And he sat there silently and he just said, well, you may wanna keep your options open. <laughs> <laughs> it was wise, I wasn't ready yet. <laughs> it took years before I would be. And then uh, in 2018, uh, he was the first person I called uh, to talk to about coming back here. 
And he told me that story and I've heard it like 10 times since and every time I get super weepy. Um, I knew Sue well, it's the sweetest story. Um, that bit about love at the end, oh my gosh. It wrecks me every time. I want you to notice, what did he do? Did he tell you theological truths? Like in, in like a lecture type way? Did, did he like answer all the mysteries of the universe and the questions you might have about God? He said, he said two things. He said, I believe in what we recite in the Apostles' Creed. That's how you know what he believes. And then what did he do? He just told you a story. And did he sugarcoat it? Did he tell you just follow Jesus and everything's gonna be okay? No, he told you the truth. And he showed you what it's looked like to go through the joys and the suffering of this life and still be faithful to Jesus and invited you at the end to follow me. <laughs> Do what I have done and follow Christ. It's really not that hard if we're willing to be honest and just share with people the truth of our lives and the reason that we have hope in Jesus. I asked him what I should say around that. He said, read this. So this is from Philippians 4, and we'll end with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And everybody say this with me. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen.